Welcome back to the bookcast. This is D.L. White with our second reading of my second holiday short. It's called Second Time Around. Could I say second one more time? It's a Potter Lake holiday short, and if you have not read the first book in the series, it is called Leslie's Curl and Die. If you've not read that book, this book will spoil that book, but I don't think the spoilers are that extensive. It's a romance, so y'all already know people got together and such. This is a cute, kind of sappy story about two seasoned residents of Potter Lake. They're in their 40s. There's a widow and a widower, and they happen to find themselves in this quaint little town. I had a a really good time writing this. I had been wanting to write older characters. I am no longer young. I'm not quite middle-aged, I don't think, but I'm no longer young, so it's hard for me to write people who are under 30 anymore. Uh, So it was a pleasure to write people who were my age. The intro to this story is as follows. Potter Lake, Georgia, is a small town filled with life and love where the hustle and bustle slows down just to notice what and who is around you. For recent transplants Sage Owens and Bennett Alexander, their greatest losses marked the end of to have and to hold. While time marches on, it doesn't move in reverse. It doesn't bring back the love of your life. These two souls are drawn together in this quiet town, and discover that their meeting is not so accidental, but fated. What time may bring this holiday season is a second chance at love. Chapter 1. Sage There you go, Mayor Cavanaugh. Sorry about the wait. I had to hand-steam the milk. Sage Owens, owner of Rooster's Coffee, slid a frothy medium latte across the counter and smiled up into the handsome face of Potter Lake's new mayor. Well, the term new was relative. The previous mayor, Quincy Adams, had been in office for as long as anyone could remember, simply because no one had had the guts to run against him. He was scamming half the town and trying to put the other half out of business, so Kate Cavanaugh had done just that and won by a landslide. Last anyone heard from Quincy, he had tucked tail, vacated the official residence, and moved to Birmingham, Alabama. Good riddance. Not a problem, he said lifting the thick paper cup to sip a bit off the top. He licked froth from his lips and hummed his approval. Mm, that's good. And I keep telling you to call me Cade, or KC. We're colleagues. Though he spent most weekdays running Potter Lake, a few evenings a week, Saturdays and holidays, you could find Mayor Cavanaugh at Guy's and Doll Salon. Since City Hall was likely closed for the Christmas holidays, He'd been spending a lot of time at the shop, trying to give his hard-working barbers and the manager, his sister, some respite. Sage shook her head, planting a fist on her hip. And I keep telling you that Madeira will come up out of her grave to shake her finger at me, calling the mayor by his first name. You're just gonna have to get used to it. It's that or your honor. Mayor laughed, a hearty and loud guffaw. Oh, no, 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 I can't even. No. He reached for a lid and snapped it on top of his cup then pushed his wallet into the back pocket of some loose athletic pants with the Aria logo printed down the side. The black shirt he wore matched, with Aria in neat printing across the right front breast. 
Back in his NBA days, that was the brand he represented, and though he hadn't seen a court in years, he still wore it proudly. Thanks, Sage. Appreciate it. He squinted as he turned to stare out of the windows of the shop. This end of the parking lot was so empty, Sage swore she saw a tumbleweed blow through. It's strange that business is so slow today. Must be the weather. Or the holiday. Is the barbershop busy? Always. And Leslie's back to back at the curl and die. People must be trying to get fine for Christmas. Speaking of busy, I'd better head back. If you get lonely, come on down. I just might do that. You got that cute baby over there today. He moved toward the door, but not before beaming a, crowd, a proud grin. KJ was a bright ray of sunshine, a great mix of his parents, but he favored KC a lot. Not this morning, but Leslie will probably, probably bring him by later on. I'll text you. Sage waved as he headed down the sidewalk to his end of the row. Rooster's Coffee and Guys and Dolls bookended the line of shops in the ever-expanding strip mall. Every time she turned around, something new was being built or somebody was having a grand opening. The Potter Lake population exploded when Mayor Kavanaugh took over and started making good on his promises to improve the town. His goal was to make Potter Lake a friendly small town, and they were well on their way. Street lights and wide sidewalks had been added, as well as a trolley that would take you to and from one end of town to the other and back again. He even established bus service to and from Healy so that people could easily live and work in either town. Sage still liked Healy exactly where it was, 20 miles west, but it was nice to ride out and spend a day shopping, see a movie, and visit with her daughter, Ray, a senior at Healy University, and a major reason that she had sold her house and moved from Ocala, Florida, to Georgia. Gordon, her husband, had only been gone a little over a year when Ray left for college, and Say missed her every second of every day. She was miserable, alone and lonely. Over spring break that year, Ray talked about a little town about 20 miles away from the college. It was growing quickly, she said, and the mayor was talking about getting people to move out there and start up a business. Maybe Sage could open that little coffee shop she had talked about for years. It wasn't like she didn't have the money. Gordon's life insurance and careful financial planning had them covered and then some. Sage still wanted some semblance of a life. She couldn't sit in the house and watch time pass. She could do whatever she wanted to do, and what she wanted to do was to be near her daughter. So, excited, she lifted the, listed the house and started packing and made trips back and forth, looking for merchant space and a home. For the first year or so, she lived in an apartment not far from Rooster's, but it seemed so modern, contemporary. She wanted something older, something country, with a little character. Then the perfect place opened up, a garage apartment that a member of her church had posted for rent. Her daughter, the previous tenant, had moved in with the man who would later become the mayor. Sage checked her watch, then rounded the corner to stand at the window and take in a long glance at the empty parking lot. It looked like most of the shops are doing little to no business, except for guys and dolls, which always seemed to be bustling, mostly because it was as much a hangout spot as it was a family salon. It was a good thing that business was slow because the espresso machine had been broken for two days and calls to Breville machine to send their repairman back out seemed to be going unanswered. A small white pickup that had obviously seen better days turned into the parking lot. It crawled past the shops between roosters and guys and dolls, then pulled into the space in front of the entrance. Sage stepped back from the window and watched him slowly, bit by bit, get out of the truck. 
One boot hit the ground, and then the other. A pair of legs were visible in the space underneath the driver's side door while he leaned into the cab of the truck and grabbed what looked like a small clipboard. He straightened, then stepped back and slammed the truck door shut, the vehicle shuddering with the impact. A button-down shirt was open at the collar, covered by a black zip-up hoodie with Alexander repair embroidered across the breast. He was tall, not a giant like KC, but tall enough to have to lift her gaze as he approached the front door. His legs were long, his gait smooth, his clean-shaven face had a strong chin, high cheekbones, and enviable lashes and brows. This wasn't her usual repairman. Ned drove a flashy, fire-engine red Dodge Ram, was short and stocky, and had a belly that made him look like he was in his third trimester. Sage realized she'd been standing in the window, staring in just enough time to reach out and open the door for him. He smiled as he stepped inside. Are you Sage Owens? I'm from Breville. I'm Sage, yes, she managed to answer, without swooning over the baritone sounds that seemed to come from the depths of his chest. I was expecting Ned. He reached into a pocket to show her a plastic encased ID card. Bennett Alexander, Alexander Repair, he said, then tucked it away, bringing up the clipboard. I have no idea where Ned is, but I've taken over his customers in this area. Everybody's been asking, and everybody's mad because they haven't seen him. Sage huffed. Yeah, my machine has been down for days, and I haven't heard a peep. Thought I was going to have to get ugly with Breville. I pay a maintenance contract on this thing for a reason. She turned, waving at him to follow. Is this one here? And what is it doing? Or not doing? Steaming. I can get hot coffee, no problem. But if I need to froth or to steam milk, I have to use that hand steamer over there. Sage pointed to the small, discarded appliance on the counter. Gotcha. He took in the shiny silver contraption with all of its bells and whistles that rendered the unit useless if the bells and whistles didn't work. I'm going to grab my toolbox and I'll open her up and take a look. Sage watched his long-legged stride out of the shop and wondered, almost aloud, about this new repairman. He wasn't young by any stretch of the imagination, but he wasn't an old man either. Seasoned, as the kids say. Stocky, sturdy, but not rippling with muscle. Smooth, dark skin, smoky brown eyes, and only a hint of silver in the low cut on his head. In nearly the same moment, she chided herself, looking at some man like he's tonight's dinner. What a delicious dinner he would be. Bennett came back in, toting his medium-sized metal box. Mind if I set this here? Sage nodded. He set the box down on the faux marble counter, then reached behind the machine and flipped the switch to turn it off, then flipped the hinges at the side to swing open the face of the unit. All of her inner workings were on display for the world to see. Now how long have you had this unit? Just a couple of years, she answered, leaning against the counter to watch him work. She never watched Ned work. In fact, Sage preferred to not be in the same room as Ned. He'd talk nonstop to anyone in hearing range, usually about nothing that made any sense, or sports, even though she had told him a hundred times she was not a sports watcher. Bennett, though. She watched those nimble fingers dig into the machine and take the bits and pieces apart and set them on the counter all in a line. It wasn't new when you bought it? Oh, no, used. This place has only been open about three years. I'm new out here. Me too. Brand new, he replied, lifting his head up and out of the machine. Breville asked if I'd be willing to take over this territory. I needed a change of pace, so I figured, why not? I guess it saves the time of having to send someone from 20 miles away, huh?
Sage bobbed her head, absentmindedly nodding. I'm renting a spot until I get things squared away, but I'm thinking I might buy one of those new houses they're building. Then again, I hear there's some nice land on the other side of the lake, more room to do what you want without having neighbors in your business. I rent a place over on the other side. I prefer it. He brightened, smiling while turning a screwdriver. Oh, yeah? Have you met Leslie, the mayor's wife? She owns the curl and dye beauty shop over there. Everybody knows Leslie. I rewired a couple of her hair dryers a couple of weeks ago, and I was a serious fan of her husband back in the day. Well, I'm renting her old place. It's a little apartment over the garage at her folks' house, just what I needed. And now and again, Lee, Leslie's mama, she make a few dozen treats for me to bring to the coffee shop to sell. I'm sure they're good. I've heard about her carrot cake. The screw he'd been fighting with finally gave, granting him entrance to another part of the machine. I think I see the problem. Got a kink in your line, and it looks pretty rough. That happens on these refurbished units with the old steel parts, and looks like your temperature gauge is about gone. Have you been having issues with it? Sage nodded, proceeding to go into what was probably a long, boring story about how long it took to get a decent cup of steamed milk or stiff peaks of foam. So, how long am I going to be down? Is there any way to rush the parts? That hand steamer is going to be the death of my wrist. He smiled, showing off a pretty white set of teeth. Miss Owens, when I walk out of here, this machine's going to be pumping out more lattes than you can handle. Sage tried hard not to grin like an idiot, but she couldn't help it. His voice was so deep and yet silky smooth. Please call me Sage. And wow, really? Ned always had to order parts and it took forever to come in and then he'd have to come back. Charge me for the return, Sage. He cut her off with a warm, heavy hand on her shoulder. You're not going to see Ned ever again. This machine is mine now and I'm going to take excellent care of her. All right, Mr. Ben and Alexander. I best let you get to work. Bennett. Bennett walked out of the shop toward his truck, shaking his head in absolute amazement. This Ned was an idiot and a thief, dragging out service calls so he could double bill. He was probably overcharging on parts, too. There was no reason not to keep small, replaceable parts on your truck and fix things in a single visit to get over on any of your customers. Specifically, a woman who was obviously trying to do something for herself was reprehensible. His mother took in laundry and sewing most of his childhood, so he knew the heartache that having a machine breakdown could cause. It would put a serious limp in her stride. His phone buzzed in his pocket as he stood at the back of the truck, sifting through the crates of small parts and miscellaneous tools. It was an organized mess, functional to no one but Bennett. He pulled, op he pulled a device out to glance at the screen and smiled, pressing the button to accept. Hey, Ladybug, how are you? Hi, Daddy, came the tinny sound of his daughter, Rebecca. I have Albert here. We're just calling to see how you're doing. I'm working. Not for long. I'm on my only call. I'm going to get a haircut and see what's going on with the fellas. You, uh, you and Albert get that favor done for me? Yes, Daddy. We got the flowers and put them on her grave. I'll text you a picture when we hang up. So you're good? Bennett paused to consider the question, weighing his emotion and general outlook of the day. He decided he felt pretty good. Better than I thought I would be. But I'm on a service call, so let me call you back later. It's okay, Dad. Albert's low baritone came through, sounding like he was hovering a few inches from the phone. I have to pick up a couple of things for Grandma for dinner tomorrow. Are you sure you'll be okay spending Christmas alone? We can fly you here. Don't worry about the cost. No, no, I'm good. 
Bennett rolled his eyes, knowing that neither of his children had the funds for a last-minute trip back up to Charlotte. He'd end up putting the airfare on his credit card, and Bennett smiled, though, at the gesture. I'm looking forward to it. Something new, you know? Yeah. Well, if you insist that you're fine, and I do, then I guess we'll talk to you tomorrow. Love you, Dad. Love you too, Ladybug. You too, son. Talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, Dad. Bennett disconnected the call and slid the phone back into the pocket of his zippered hoodie. He gathered the parts and tools needed and headed back to the coffee shop. He had planned on working today. He had long ago scheduled the day off, actually, but when Breville called and said they had an emergency and said where it was, he decided to take the call. He could use the distraction. Today was Virginia's birthday. Her fifth birthday since she'd passed, and he still woke up out of a dead sleep on December 24th, panicking because he hadn't picked up the flowers or a card or anything, and he knew he'd, she'd be upset because he'd forgotten. Virginia had been one of those kids that got presents for both holidays wrapped up in one. Bennett made it a point to celebrate her birthday separately. One full day to celebrate Virginia Alexander. After he remembered that she was gone and probably wouldn't already be counting the minutes of her full day of celebration, he'd laid back down. He wasn't even in Charlotte this year. Kids would take care of the flowers for him. He couldn't go back to sleep, though. He laid on his back, staring at the ceiling fan until sunrise, then beyond sunrise. Then he got the service call and figured that if he didn't get out of bed, he would lay there all day. Sage was right where he'd left her, leaning against the counter. Sorry about that. My kids were calling from back home. Kids? Her eyebrows shot up toward her hairline. Bennett saw her sneak a peek at his left hand and the glimpse of confusion at the presence of no ring. You have kids? Two grown-ass crumb snatches, twenty-one and twenty-three. Oh, she sighed a light breath, then laughed. I thought you meant babies. My Ray is twenty-two. Seems like they were just babies, though, doesn't it? Sure does. I feel like it was yesterday that Virginia was pacing and cursing, and I was timing contractions. Bennett bent to look into the machine, thinking he could easily replace the line and the broken temperature gauge. He liked when he felt like he was doing something for someone, providing a service, making things better, righting a wrong. The ones he could right anyway. So, did your wife move with you, or... The question, one he was expecting, trailed off at the end. Bennett's quick forays into dating and, after having been married for so long, came in very short spurts, but they taught him to pick up on the nuances of the single woman. They would often hint at a wife, girlfriend, or a life partner to feel out the situation. Sometimes, if he didn't want to be bothered, he told women that he was married, but didn't wear a ring because of his job. So Bennett had to decide, in that moment, if he was available. Sage was a nice-looking woman comfortable in a pair of curve-hugging leggings, a red rooster's co coffee t-shirt, and a pair of loafers. Not a model type that would grace the cover of a magazine, but he figured those women weren't real anyway. He was attracted to a woman's soul, her kindness to others, her openness, her spirit, Sage's pretty walnut skin, a figure he could imagine wrapping his arms around, short, sassy hairdo, big almond-shaped eyes, and full lips weren't any hardship to look at. Besides, Bennett didn't see a ring on her finger either. She wouldn't be asking about a wife if she had a husband. Right? He straightened, dropping the old, dented, and corroded pipe on the counter next to the machine with a clang. 
He reached for the new, clear plastic cylinder, still in its packaging, and tore it open. My, uh, my wife is gone. Five years now. Breast cancer, metastatic. Took her pretty quickly. Bennett avoided looking at women when he informed them of his marital status. Widower. He didn't know how to act, what to do with his face when he gave the brief rundown. Was she supposed to be happy to hear about the demise of the love of his life? If she was, would that be a turnoff? That, was that a red flag? He couldn't grasp it himself. A low moan and sucking of teeth, however, drew his attention to Sage. Her expression was sad, but also something else. My husband, Gordon, died six years ago. Car accident, real bad. He lived for a few days, but she bowed her head, her eyelashes fluttering with her rapid blinking. I'm sorry to hear that. Really sorry to hear that. After a few quiet moments, her head lifted. Her eyes were glassy, but not a tear had fallen. Thanks. I know you know how I'm feeling. Bennett's head bobbed. Finally moved away because, you know, everyone knew us. I felt like I was being reminded all the time about what we had. Places she loved to go, dishes she loved to eat, even the building she worked at. I had to drive past there every day and not stop in and say, hey, take her to lunch. The kids are gone. I just needed a new start. Yeah. Sage shifted her weight from one leg to the other, glancing out of the window at the empty parking lot, her arms folded across her ample chest. I moved out here to be close to my daughter. Got her enrolled at college, then found a little something for me to do. I couldn't sit around missing him anymore. Bennett straightened again, this time affixing his full attention on her. So you really feel where I'm coming from? Yep. This little town has been a lifesaver, though. Nice people, real small-town atmosphere, very welcoming, like family. I definitely agree with you there. I've been surprised. With a quick twist of a screwdriver, he had swapped out the temperature gauge and tossed the old one on the counter. He closed the front door to the machine and reached behind it to flip the power switch. It buzzed and hummed and beeped, coming to life. Did you get good business here? Usually. I'm surprised they're so dead right now. Must be the weather and the holiday. We're usually hopping. Maybe the after-work rush. Well. Bennett paused, watching the machine adjust to bring itself to normal working order. What do you say we give this thing a whirl? Sage grinned, beaming a beautiful smile in his direction. Hot damn! Do you drink coffee? What do you have on the house? Oh, let me do like a caramel latte. Sounds good. All right, she said, practically bouncing across the room to grab a cup and the ingredients she needed to make his coffee. Let's take her for a spin.